we carved out some time. We went into a, you know a WeWork office actually in Manhattan with a whiteboard and just a bunch of ideas, and and we just jammed. We started using music terms that was so creative and so dynamic. Jam session leadership. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back for another great episode. Today, I have for you Paul Rorick, who is Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer over at Ascendion, a full-service software engineering company. Paul is the author of multiple best-selling and award-winning books on the future of work, technology, and society. And he's held multiple strategy, marketing, and operational roles before founding the Center for the Future of Work. Paul, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Thank you, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. And we got to start on the most important thing, which is being a freelance musician. Now, <laughs> I love fun. music. We're great. In fact, we were just at a music festival this weekend, and I love it. And so I'm going through LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, you know, Paul's like this executive, that executive, had all these roles. And at the bottom, y'all, I've got to read this to you. He's like freelance musician. Played at Disney's Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Universal Studios, Church Street Station, dive bars, festivals, and blues clubs in New York, all over Florida, Mexico, Canada. I mean, getting all over the place. Founding member of Los Blancos, Syracuse Area Music Awards Hall of Fame in March 2022. So people didn't expect necessarily a music podcast today, but we've got I've, I've got to dive into this. What is the scoop on your music background? Yeah, it's, uh, I learned, you know, so I was a professional musician for a long time and banged around and did a lot of different gigs. Um, I helped pay for school uh, when I was going to my undergrad program. They came and recruited a bunch of musicians for seasonal work. And I was like, well, that sounds good to me. And so I auditioned and, you know, I marched around and did parades and stuff through school. And then they, uh, I didn't, I didn't have a gig after I graduated and then uh, the phone rang. It was like some sort of TV show. And um, I had gotten up, you know, I had done a gig the night before and they had the, the you know, the the gall to call me before noon. And so that which that's never bleary eyed. Yeah, that's not right. something you do to a working musician. So I was like, what? And uh, and they're like, hey, we're starting a, you know, we're starting a band. And so I quickly shifted gears. And I'm like, yeah, I would absolutely love to do that. And so and then I was a, a musician for quite a while. I got to learn a lot and do a lot of different gigs. And um, it was it was good fun and, and you know, very creative time. And I loved it. Well, wow. so what instrument or specialty were you? I used to be a drummer. A drummer. The yeah. heartbeat of every band. Yeah, ideally, yeah, you would say that, but yeah, yeah ideally, was, yeah. people will say, well, it's always like there's like a million guitar players out there, but every band needs a drummer, and if they have a drummer, they always want to have a good the phone number of a good drummer in case that drummer's gone, yeah, or, or leaves them, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was the second the second phone call, right? <laughs> always second phone call. Yeah. And so what? So you recorded some with Los Blancos, is that right? Yeah, when I was in grad school, we started this band. Um, 
it was just you know as all you know probably the most unfortunately named band in the history of music but um but it was a great fun right we just um it started out as a jam session at a at a a dive bar really and uh um it just i just said you know hey you know um maybe i could sit in next week and then the the lead singer we exchanged numbers and then the guy who was the lead singer called me up the 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 day the uh, a week later um and said, hey, our guy couldn't make it. Can you sit in? It was like this ridiculous, you couldn't script it. I mean, it would be unbelievable if you wrote it down into, into a script. And and he said, can you do the gig? And I'm like, I guess so, maybe. And and so I sh- I loaded my, I schlepped my stuff over to the bar and, uh, and we had a blast, right? And we mm-hmm. did it a couple of times and we're like, you know what, this is actually kind of working. Um, maybe we should rehearse a little bit. And that, and then um, we had a great run. We, we did, um, you know, some festivals and some recording and played at all the local the local blues joints in upstate New York and traveled around a little bit. Wow. And then I finished my dissertation and I went and got a, you know, quote unquote normal gig for a while and I split and they kept going. Um, and and we're recently wow. and I'm very proud, you know, of of all all the Blancos guys who who've played in the band through the years and, you know, and, and you know, into the Syracuse Music Hall of Fame. And and so I went to the dinner and it was it was got to see wow. it. it was super fun. So PhD, right? Yeah. Right. So you, you went heavy duty education, executive business writing. What looking back over that special time as a drummer touring and whatnot, what, what did you learn that, that, that you bring forward to today as an executive? Yeah, that's, that's like the I, that's the like the best question I think I've ever been asked because it's, it's so no, it's really man, it's important, right? It's that like I learned like you know those you know the silly cliches about the most important stuff I learned in kindergarten and all that. Hmm. You know the most important stuff I learned about leadership I learned in bands. You know I learned the importance of the team, the importance of creative creativity. Hmm. You know focusing on the audience, showing up on time, right? Every single time. I was late once, right? And I still freak out about it, like to this day. Um, so those are, you know, the important habits, right? The healthy habits about leadership. You know, I've been in bands with good leaders and I've been, you know, in places where the leadership, you know, wasn't, you know, fully formed yet. And so you really get to see at a very, you know, visceral and immediate, um, you know, time, right? Within, mm-hmm. it, Because it happens really fast. Right. If things don't work, right, everybody knows, and it's public. If no, everybody knows it. If it's not happening, everybody knows it. And so, those lessons that I learned as you know back then, and mm-hmm. just to see how big companies worked with Disney and how small companies and startups worked with the other bands that I worked in, I mean, that was really probably one of the best educations, you know, through a creative field um, to help learn the basic fundamental blocking and tackling of what good leadership looks like and what it doesn't look like. I love it. And for all you parents out there who do not want your kid to join a rock and roll band, yeah. don't let them listen to this episode with Paul. <laughs> he say, hey, I'm going to get my leadership training <laughs> playing drums in a band. Buy your kid a guitar and, uh, and yeah. And then, and then oh. let them have at it. All right. So, so, so good. Thanks for, thanks for uh, sharing a little bit of that. I love music and we, and we've had a few bands on here and we don't have nearly enough executives who have been in bands. So it's good to combine these two worlds and bring them together. 
Yeah, that's not a common path. <laughs> so fast forward in your career, when was the moment that you realized you were a leader? Well, you know, I don't know if you ever like, I think there's a moment, well, there was a moment in my my professional uh, working life um, where it was, you know, very unexpected, very and 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 surprising, and, and it was profound. And it was a moment where I had been um, working on a big deal, and and big deals, you know, big technology services deals have a life of their own. They get very complicated and very, you know, there's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of zeros in the number, and and people get really activated, right? Companies get activated at sure. a very high, high a level. A lot at stake. There's a lot at stake, right? There's a lot of risk. And they're big. There's a lot of people. It takes a lot, you know, it takes, you know, a couple villages to make one of those things work. And I had been working on a pursuit and we won and uh, which was great, right? There's this huge kind of, you know, yeah, we did it. We, you know, we did it, we did it. And then, uh, then I was going to turn the stuff on. So I had a delivery kind of a pre-sales role and then into delivery. Uh, Hmm. And so it was a very interesting moment where everybody just said, okay, now we won. And now we have to do it all. I was like, well, that sounds really hard. And then everybody looked at me and it was like, oh, I have to help do it all. And mm. and I was responsible. And I felt that the sense of responsibility, the, you know, the ob- it was an honor and an obligation. And that was when I felt the real the first time I felt, you know, at least in a, you know, professional business context, you know, th- that, you know, I had to step up. I had to step up and, you know, and I was going to make mistakes, but I had to, I, it was it was up to me to make those mistakes and, and help everybody get from point A to point B. So you said it was a big deal and you were involved in sort of selling it. And a lot of times in organizations, the people that sell, you know, they, they sell the deal, but then they hand it off to a different team and they're like, Hey, you guys go take care of this, make this happen. It's not like in this situation, they're like, no, Paul, <laughs> you, you, it's you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That and, had been my plan the whole time. <laughs> you're like, what really? And so we're like, what were the emotions that were, that were going on for you that moment? Like looking back, you know, I, there was a moment of like, oh no, and I, and <laughs> I used different language uh, in my yes, head. Yes. Um, but then I was like, okay, I, I felt hmm. like I was ready to do this. And I was, and more importantly than me, it was, I was surrounded by people who could help it, make it happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. if we talked about like, like with, you know, good bands, the team was there. Right. And there were people that knew stuff that I didn't know, but I had some things that I could bring to the table to help pull things together more as an orchestrator than, you, you know, and, and that, that moment, and it was almost a moment where this happened, where all of these things kind of landed in my, in my brain, where I was, you know, I was writ I was in the contract. I, you know, I, I talked to my wife and I said, look, do we want to do this? And we decided together, yes, this was a, a good thing to do. And then, and I had the team. So, and, mm-hmm. you know, including my family. And so that was, um, those were the thoughts that ran in in my head. It was like you know, like uh oh, and then it was like okay, and you know, can I do this? And I think okay, I can do this, um, but I can do it because the people around me were were ready, 
Um, and so that was, it was fun and exciting and, and scary and nerve wracking. And, you know, all of, all of those emotions uh, came at once. Well, you know, I think a lot of people listening and probably relate to that, you know, moments where you don't realize you're going to be the leader, but you are the leader and you've got to step up and lead the team. Uh, what's your advice for leaders who find themselves in those moments where they're not expecting to have to lead the charge, but Hey, it's almost, it almost sounds like there was a vacuum, like no one else is going to do it. Paul, you're it. And, uh, you decide to go forward with it. What, what advice do you have for leaders in those situations? I think the most important thing anybody can do in business, um, whether you're leading something, you know, large or small, whether it's a company or a project or a program is, is, is it, it, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, right? But it really comes down to the band that you have, right? The team that you have, the team that you put together. Can you work together? Can you uh, engage in, you know, creative dynamics, right? Which can be, you know, it's not emotion free. And anytime there's risk and challenge, people have, you know, feelings, right? We're human beings. And and I think if anybody can kind of grok that, the sense that if there is a time to step up, but the way to step up is with people, right? If it's, you're mm -hmm. just like, like I'm in charge and everyone's going to do it because I said so, that's kind of probably not that's not worked for me, right? No. You know, that's not like how I look at things. And I think the most important thing anybody can do is keep in mind the team that you're with, right? If you create, if you're a good teammate first and you can bring teammates with you, right? Then regardless of whether it's a, you know, a rock and roll band or a deal or even a company, right? That if you get that right, then then magic can happen right then people can be their best selves and i think that's really the at the core of it that's what a leader needs to do it's like helping you know helping yourself help others be their best selves want to boost your productivity and decision making get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox a great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not go to benfanning.com insight so fast forwarding down the road from this, three books later, y'all, three books later, you're an executive. I want to dig into these books, but before we do, how in the world does a executive get three books on? Well, it was the Center for the Future of Work. And so it it was um it was actually, you know, my boss at the time was Malcolm Frank, and he ran strategy and marketing for Cognizant, which was a you know huge technology services company. And we've been doing research uh, with with Ben Pring as well, who was um, uh, who we also brought in to kind of help found the Center for the Future of Work. And and we had done some really amazing work. And and Malcolm and Ben and I are all really just curious, right? We love this industry. We love the idea of investigating it and trying to figure out like what's what's happening and then what should we do about it, you know, as a company, but also how can how in that point could we, you know, help our clients, you know, wrestle with some really big stuff that was going on around work and technology and society. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to say there was a glass of wine involved or anything, but we were there may have been. Uh, where we were just thinking about like, okay, now what do we do? You know, because we've got all of these pieces in place and it was mm -hmm. going very well and people were interested in it. And it was like, you know, should we pull all this content together in, in some other, a different kind of asset, 
was a book and and admittedly i was like nah, i'm not so sure about that but malcolm and ben were like yeah why not and then i got on board after a while because they were like look this is this could be kind of cool and we already have all of this data and we have people that are asking us these questions and and we have these ideas that we haven't written down yet to pull things together and the idea was let's just talk about it so we did so we hmm. we 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 carved out some time we went into a, you know a WeWork office actually in Manhattan with a whiteboard and just a bunch of ideas, and and we just jammed. And when mm-hmm. we talk about it now, we're like, oh, we should go back into the studio and do this. And we we started using music terms like because it was so creative and so dynamic. And and kudos to Malcolm and uh, Francisco de Souza, the CEO, who said, yes, this is absolutely valuable to our clients. Mm-hmm. We should do this. Um, and the first book was just, you know, let's just try it and see what happens. And and, and again, we had no idea. Like, so it, it was a jam session. It was totally a jam session. So for leaders that have never been in a jam session, how would you describe a jam session to them? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. It gets back to some of the points that we've kind of already started exploring. It's about a team dynamic, right? And uh, in this mm-hmm. case, it was a, a subgroup, right? It was the three of us um, with very vague goals at the point at the time. But there was a lot of there was a, a mutual trust hmm. uh, that we would engage in this journey mm-hmm. and just see what happens. So you know this this is about leadership. So I think in this case, right? Hats off to Malcolm who really recognized like that the world could could find use in something that we could we could put together on behalf of the company but also mm-hmm. you know on behalf of the three of us and so yeah. walking into the room with that sense of vulnerability yep and and commitment to the team is the is that something that you can port that into any context you have jam session leadership Jam session leadership. And the vulnerability point is really important. I'll tell you, you, you know, because we 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 had to kind of park our egos at the door. And we're we're all, you know, we all had, you know, healthy egos, but the ability to park them at the door and look for something that was good and true hmm. uh and to harmonize the three voices, right? That was that was the key. Now, whether you're running a, a complex program or writing a book. Or putting together a rock and roll band, the ability to become a a good teammate, share vulnerability, have clear ex, you know, emerging. They don't have to be clear mm-hmm. at the beginning, mm-hmm. but they have to be shared goals at the end, and then a commitment to just like you know, we're just gonna see what happens. Uh, that those things, those are lessons that anybody can take. Oh, I love it, y'all. Jam session leadership. Leaders get together and jam. You know. Paul here gave us a great formula and sort of, I would say maybe it's a description of the environment that you need to create so you can create that leadership music or, or idea flow. So now to so you get your book, your, your first book, mm-hmm. are you with this? Do you apply this same sort of jam session mentality to the next two? Or do you take a different approach to get that no, done? Absolutely. So each same book kind of okay. had, had its own, each book had its own rhythm uh, and kind of point of origin, um, just like you would see in records, right? Or albums, you know, mm-hmm. records, for those of you who don't know, they used to be made. Uh, 
plastic and they were so those, <laughs> so it was uh it was like that oh that's so okay, all right so this is this is great for leaders to think about because i think number one a lot of times when they people think about writing a book they go it alone and for executives and i've worked i i've been through the book writing process i've helped other leaders and a lot of times they do really think about it as going it alone and i think you that's one or out. Um, but you've done three and not one, and you've done it with other people. And I think having a team writing approach to where you're bouncing ideas can help get the book done quickly, or it can make it longer. But I think it can be more fun, more engaging potentially if you create the jam session type of environment. So I think some really, really good stuff for leaders to unpack for themselves there. So fast forward on the topics here. The title of your third book is very uh, intriguing, I mm. would say. Uh, maybe describe, just give the give the listeners today, tell them what's at the heart of that book and what the monster is. What the monster is. Yeah, so the title of the book is Monster. Um, and the origin story of Monster is when we, when What to Do When Machines Do Everything came out, um, it was it was one of the early books on to, to talk about everything that was that's in the news today. Really, it's about it was, how, yeah, how, yeah mm -hmm. it's it's quite you, you know before it's, Chat GPT, before Chat GPT, right? <laughs> we saw this coming. You know, GP, Chat GPT feels like it's an overnight sensation, but it was really kind of you, you know there were a lot of leading indicators, and we talked about those in machines. And what happened in machines is. When we went out and talked to clients and different kind of industry groups and the public about it and media, the questions all got very personal. Like, mm. what does this mean for me? Because we had written it for a business audience. Here's how business audience leaders should think about or could think about what does this yep. mean for your business? And people were like, yeah, what about my kid? Like, you know, we were in these most remarkable scenarios and then people would be going, yeah, uh-huh, I get that, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, you know, and then you get like, they would find you and they would say, is my job safe? You know, what should my sure. children study? And it was like, holy mackerel, you know, everybody wants, you, you know, we hinted at it in the book, but the real, it got really personal, like really, you know, like, what do I do with my family? What do I tell it's my very carnal, the fear. Exactly. <laughs> when you watch, I was watching some of the videos that you guys are uh, creating around the book. Yeah, it's it's compelling. Yeah. So then we said, yeah. okay, maybe the next book is kind of in the answers to these questions that we were we were writing as we were talking mm -hmm. about machines, and that's that's where Monster came from, which is basically a response to you know eighteen months of questions from people who were like, okay, I get this from a company perspective, but what do I do in my life? How do I, what do I tell my kids? How do we really tame these things as AI is, you know, left the laboratory and now it's like taken over maybe a little bit more than we thought it might. And so that was, so Monster was the response to the, some of the personal questions that came up when we were talking about what to do in machines do everything. Yeah, I like that so much. I mean, I'm experiencing it like a Pixar movie where it's got like the message for the kids and the adults all at the same time. So there's interviews like, hey, you're writing the book. And the topics that you guys are covering, and I really liked, I really like how the progression of hey, well, why write a third book? Well, we have questions to answer. What you 
the feedback you got from the world on book number two really fueled your focus for the third one. Exactly. And I, you know, and I think what while having that many books may be intimidating to some people, if you think about, it, hey, I'm going to do one, I'm going to see how the world responds to it. Uh, and then create the next one. It, it's a little bit more manageable, and it, it makes a lot of sense. What What's been the response that you've gotten sort of writing about this and then having chat GPT and having these things come out now? Uh, how have you seen things come together? Well, that's a great question as well. The Things are coming together in a business perspective because, I mean, just – click on a, any link you click on right now in the news it's there's something related to s- themes that are in the book books around society and technology and business and particularly around the impact of ai so whether it's at a personal or professional or social mm-hmm. level these questions are being wrestled with right by the different constituencies so if you're a, so regardless of what kind of leadership that you're aspiring to participate in whether it's you know, you're co-leading your house, right? You're, or you're leading a, you know, a business, or you're maybe you're leading, you know, a, a government agency, or maybe you're a policy leader, right? These are all the important questions that everyone has to, you know, I think wrestle with, and they're being wrestled with right now. So the response is, there's still a lot of interest in in these in some of the themes that we explored, and now you see companies being put together to try and react to this. You see policy leaders trying to react to this. You see individuals trying to react to this. And so I think we're at the the moment of um, we are at a crossroads um, where we as individuals, as businesses and societies are faced with a huge number of decisions, probably the likes of which we haven't seen since the 1840s in the Industrial Mm -hmm. Revolution. And so as we stand at this crossroads, what do leaders need to be thinking about when it comes to artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera? Well, I mean, you like music, right? And so, you know, there's a crossroads, yeah. right? The Robert Johnson crossroads where I went <laughs> down, I went to the crossroads and I fell Clarksville, down. Mississippi? Is that uh, right? Or uh, uh, a legend at the crossroads? Yeah, yeah, yeah Robert exactly. Johnson, and he's like approached the legend is he was approached by the devil. Is that right? Yeah, he, saw, like? he made a deal, but he a went. Deal. He made a deal. Okay. He made a deal with the devil, right? So I'm not suggesting that. As a <laughs> is that strategy. what we've done with artificial intelligence and machine learning? Well, if you read, the, if you believe everything you read, or a lot of what you read, it is cast at this as this evil force, right? It's like you, you know, yes, it is being cast that way. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of relevance, I think, and the and the and the issue of this, you know, the connection to the song is, it's a seeking of guidance, mm. right? I fell down on my knees is part of the song, and and so what are we doing now? We're looking for guidance, right? That's what business leaders should be doing. That is a natural mm. human thing to do. Like, hey, there's this thing out there, and I'm not even sure if it's friend or foe or both, and I and now you know I'm dealing with it in my personal life. Right. And now what do I, I I'm responsible. I'm a leader in a business. So now I've got to be looking at, Hey, what do I do about that? Is this, you know, is this just a cost cutting exercise or what's going on here? And I think that's exactly a very healthy space to be. It might not be comfortable, but it is a super healthy space. There are some truths that are emerging for all leaders, right? Software is not going to disappear. It's going to get more and more powerful and do more and more kinds of things that it hasn't done yesterday. 
That's mm. for sure, right? You know, that's not going to, the you know, the genie's, you know, the cliche is the genie's out of the bottle, you know. But when Pandora opened up her jar, right, there was also hope in it. And I think that everybody who's wrestling with these right now needs to remember that, yes, there is some, you know, there's some unintended consequences that could be quite negative. But I don't think we should be focusing only on that, right? It's easy and it's kind of scary fun, right? That's why we have horror movies, right? Because, you know, oh my God, you know, you know, um, you know, th- these machines are going to decimate everything, and jobs are going to disappear, and Terminators are going to be running around. And I don't think that's, you know, that's not, you know, talk to anybody who actually builds this stuff. That's not going to happen, right? There's also hang on to that hope, right? There's a productivity uplift that is immediately a possible impact or immediately possible mm-hmm. now is a time for exploration and innovation the tools exist it's up to us to figure out how do we negotiate our terms of endearment with these machines how do we tame them so that mm-hmm. the unintended consequences that are negative don't un- out- outweigh the intended and unintended consequences that are positive around productivity improvement better communications better health care better transportation all of those things mm-hmm. can be made possible. And now, to the point of your podcast, is the time for leadership to come in, pull the team together, express some vulnerability around this because we don't know what's going to happen completely, and employ creativity to figure it out. I love it. It really, It's really a call to action for leaders to not just batten down the hatches but to look for ways to embrace the possibility. And I think about it in terms of education right now, because many, and I think about chat GPT and how some of the education institutions response has been to shut it down, to not allow it. And I under, and I can understand why they don't want people writing their term papers using this stuff, but it's also, but I think from your perspective, what I hear is, Hey, don't forget even if you're taking this approach to also have ways to embrace the possibilities around it. I think it's going to be happening so fast. It's important that you do it now. I, I think I couldn't agree more. I think you said it perfectly, right? The ability to be vulnerable to imaginative uses for the future that make life better versus, you know, a catastrophic hellscape. I think that's, that's what leaders need to do whether you're a leader in your home or a leader in your business or a leader in society, I think that those are the really the important things to be, to be wrestling with right now. So good. Paul, we've covered some really good and big ground today and maybe some unexpected ground for listeners because they never thought about jam session leadership, but now they will. With all this in mind, what, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? I think we, you know, Focusing on the theme of leadership, I think now is a really great time to recognize that leadership used to be more hierarchical. In an industrial economy, it was much more hierarchical. And in a digital economy, it's much more federated, right? We're mm-hmm. all we're we all have the capacity, and in fact, I think the obligation to be leaders, right? I think now is the time to express your own leadership, whether you're right out of school or you've got you know 30 years of experience. Things are changing now, right? Things are different. We're in a post-pandemic digital economy. This is new ground in a lot of ways. And we need leaders. We need you. If you're listening to this, we need you 
to express your own leadership. Bring your voice to the table. Bring your ideas to the table because now is the time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for coming on today. Awesome. Thanks very much for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.